Matthew chapter 10, we're going to be in verses 16 through 39. Matthew 10, 16 through 39. Jesus says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my namesake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you're to speak or what you're to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and, the, and father to his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you have more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, some of you are saying, there's no way Jim is going to cover all these verses tonight. Because you've been with me long enough to know, usually we'll spend an hour on three verses. But there's a reason why we're looking at all of these together. There's a connection. There's something that God wants us to see. Now, when we come back from our break and I come back after Labor Day, we may pull some more of these things from here out of here. But there's a reason why we've looked at this many verses tonight. We're going to unpack some things from here. But before we do, let, let me uh, just point out some things to you here. I want to point out to you some of the not so fun stuff that's been in what we just read. All right. You don't have to go back and look at them if you want to. You can. But think about what Jesus just said in this section. He said, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. He said, you will be flogged. He said, brother will deliver you over to death and a father his child as well. He said, you'll be hated by all nations. He said, you'll have to flee from town to town. He says, you'll be maligned. Sounds like a fun assignment, doesn't it? Well, careful study will help a little bit in this because as you're going to see, some of this isn't for the church. Some of it's for Israel. Some of it's for some people in the church, but not for all in the church. And we're going we're gonna to take some time tonight, and I'm going to hopefully be used of God to help you see how to study prophecy. Because Jesus isn't just giving instructions to the 12, to, to the 12 disciples as he sends them out. 
there's prophecy in here as well, and that's what we're going to be breaking down a little bit. But I also don't want you to miss that there's some encouragement in these verses as well. Think about some other things that he said along the way. There's encouragement. He says, you will bear witness for me. He says, what you're to say will be given to you. And he says, the spirit of your father will be the one speaking through you. He also says, the one endures to the end will be saved. I'm going to break that down in more detail later tonight. He also said, the son of man is coming. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And he also says, have no fear of those who persecute you because of your of great value. And he also says, I will acknowledge you before my father in heaven. A lot of times we get focused on all the negative stuff and the scary stuff and we miss the promises and the encouragements that there as well. But what I want to do tonight is I want to just kind of show you how to study passages like this. Because if you try to put what Jesus is saying all into the direct context of Jesus talking to his disciples and sending them out. Remember Matthew 10 last week, he designated 12 to be apostles and he sent them out and he gave them authority and he told them what to do as they went out to preach. We dealt with all that last time when we met together. But if you try to put all of this in that context, it's going to give you some bellyache. And actually, that's what's caused a lot of prophecy people and a lot of Bible teachers to misinterpret some of these verses because they tried to put them all fitting in that context of that time. And I'm going to show you from the whole of Scripture, some of this is for everybody. Some of this is for Israel only. Some of this is for the church. Some of this is only for certain people in the church. And some of it's for other people in the church. All right. We good? You understand everything? Okay, let's go home. So let's break it down. We will all face persecution of some level for our faith in Christ. Would we not agree that the scripture teaches that? As Jesus talks about and warns that there's going to be persecution, the Bible is very clear. You know in John 16, Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble or tribulation, but oh, take heart, I've overcome the world. So there's going to be persecution. Go to John chapter 15. And look at verses 18 through 21. If you know the context of John 15, in John 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples there in the last night of his life. And in John 15, he says, in verse 18, he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know who sent me. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I don't know if many of you have this one on a 3 by 5 card on your bathroom mirror. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Wow. That kind of goes against a lot of the preaching we've heard over the years, isn't it? The health and wealth preaching, the your best life now preaching. Folks, we have to be serious about the fact that when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we no longer in control of how smooth things go. We have given our lives over to him. And if the Bible says that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered, 
Why do we desire to live a life with no suffering? So I just want you to know that as Jesus is talking to his disciples here in Matthew chapter 10 and warning them that he's sending them out as sheep amongst wolves and they're going to be facing persecution. And he talks about the being flogged in the synagogues and handed over governors for God's purposes. And, and some are going to be put to death and some of your brothers are going to be having you put to death and fathers are going to have their children put to death. And, and there's going to be mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and all this kind of stuff. In the midst of all this, keep in mind that Jesus is saying there will be persecution for following me. The Bible actually says that there is some seed that fall on the rocky soil and they spring up and they sure look like salvation. But when persecution and trouble came, what happened? They went away and they fell away because they had no root. And there's lots of people that have signed up for giving Jesus their life. But when he didn't do things the way he, they wanted him to do it, they walked away. But not everyone will be killed for their faith, will they? I mean, here he's saying, you will be killed, handed over to death for my name's sake. Does that apply to everybody? Okay, and you're right, but I want you, I want your, remember, base what you believe, not on, well, I don't think that's right. No, base it on Scripture. Well, our flesh is dying, it's, it, it, and actually it's still going to be working against me until I leave this body. Go to John chapter 21. If you remember, let me set the stage for John 21. This is after Jesus rose from the dead. This is after prior to his crucifixion when he's around uh, uh, his disciples and he says, uh, well, let me just say it to you this way. Peter jumps up and says, I don't know about the rest of these bums, but I'll die for you. I love you the most. Of course, as you know, Jesus tells him in Luke 20, uh, 31, verses 22 and following, he says, uh, actually, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny you even know me three times. And of course, Peter does. And one of the times that he does it is around a fire. The Bible says that he was standing by a fire warming himself. And one of the people at the fire said, hey, weren't you one of his followers? Weren't you with him? And the Bible says he even cursed and said, I don't even never met the guy. I almost picture as Jesus has now risen from the dead. And you know, in this story here in John 21, this is after his resurrection. This is the third time that he appeared to his disciples. Peter and a couple of other guys have decided to go out to fish. They're out there, they're fishing all night, don't catch anything. And Jesus reteaches the previous lesson that he taught when he called Peter in Luke 5, when he, Jesus said, let's go out and catch some fish. And Peter said, we fished all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, and as you know, Jesus revealed himself through the miraculous catch of fish. These guys are back out there now, not knowing what to do. They fall back on what they used to know. And they, Jesus calls out from the shore and says, friends, haven't you any fish? Actually, in the Greek, it's in the negative. He says, you don't got any fish, do you? And they say, no. And he says, throw some on the right side of the boat and you'll catch some. They throw the net on the right side of the boat and they kill in so many fish they can't haul it in. John says, it's the Lord. That's Jesus over there on the shore. Peter wants to be the first one to shore. And they, he just jumps in the boat, I mean, jumps out of the boat into the water, starts swimming to Jesus. And then the rest of them follow, dragging the net full of fish. And when they get there, Jesus has already got fish on a fire. And he says, bring some of the fish you caught. I love that. I love that. I'd love to talk about how God will use what he does through us, but he don't need us. But I almost picture Jesus as they're sitting around that fire saying, this fire reminds me of something. Hey, Peter, when's the last time I saw you around a fire? Do you love me more than these? Do you truly love me more than these? Peter says, I do. Just feed my sheep. Let's get going from here then. 
Asked him again, as you know, and he asked him a third time. And the Bible says that Peter was hurt because he had asked him a third time, do you love me more than these? And then Peter says it this way, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And I almost picture it clicking in Peter's mind. Lord, you know, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, let's get going from here. But now in John 21, look at, we'll start in verse 18. I've just set the stage right up to these verses. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he's talking to Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them and the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus didn't say that he was not going to die, but that if it was his will that he remain until he comes, what's that to you? So here in this situation, he says to Peter, oh, by the way, do you also remember the guy who told me he was going to die for me? You will. You will. And let me tell you how you're going to die. You're going to be taken, not under your control, and they're going to stretch your arms out. And that was a picture of crucifixion. The Bible says this is how he showed him by what kind of death he was going to die. Peter knew for years that he was going to die by crucifixion. Jesus had told him that. In John 21. Of course, Peter, being like all of us, if God tells you you're going to die for the sake of Christ, you also say, yeah, but what about Thomas? You know, you know, you just told me how I'm going to die. That doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. I feel a lot better about mine if you tell me. Is it, what about John? Is he going to get boiled in oil? Actually, there's some historical tradition that says that actually they tried to burn John in oil and it didn't have any effect on him. Does the Bible say that we'll all die because of our faith in Christ? No. Some will, but some won't. You have to be real careful of taking some of these things and making them try to apply to everybody. There is truth in Jesus' teaching in Matthew 10 that we're all going to face persecution and that we're being sent out as sheep amongst wolves. But there's obviously some things in here that don't apply to everybody. And so we're going to learn tonight how to decipher which is talking to who, which is talking to when. Because some of this stuff is about when he's sending them out then. Some of it's going to be tied to the tribulation period. And not now. So, the, you know the Bible actually says not everyone's family will be divided because of Christ. You know, and here he's saying how there's going to be families divided because of Christ. Does that mean everybody's family is going to be divided because of Christ? No. Go to Acts, go to Acts chapter 16. Look at verses 11 through 15. In Acts 16, verse 11, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we were supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, 
She urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So she didn't only get saved. Who else got saved? Her household. Go to chapter 16 and look at verses 25 through 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, that, that so much so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once. Who? He and all his family. Then he brought them up to his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So, here we see that all households are getting saved. Go to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, look at verses 1 through 5. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He wouldn't go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews, the Feast of Booths was at hand. So his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples may also see the works that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourselves to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. Isn't that interesting? Who had a divided house? Jesus did. Be careful of those who say, taking the passages that I read to you in Acts, that if you get saved, your whole family will get saved. You ever heard that kind of preaching? I have. That's not always the case. But also watch out for those who say, well, the Bible says there's going to be mother against daughter and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law and all this stuff. Be careful, be careful, be careful. We never build our doctrine off of a verse, but we let the whole of Scripture teach us. And by the way, as you stick with me in a little bit, you're going to see that that passage about daughter-in-law and mother-in-law, I'm going to show you is actually tied to the tribulation period very specifically. So what I want you to hear right now is, is as you study Matthew chapter 10 and the verses that we're looking at here in verses 16 through 39, I want you to keep in mind that some of it applies to all of us. There's a truth here that the scripture, the whole of scripture shows us applies to all of us. Yet at the same time, some of it will not apply to you. Some will apply only to Israel. Some of it will apply to some in the church. Some will apply to others or not to others in the church. As we look closely at what Jesus is saying here, we'll hopefully see that there's an eschatological focus here in much of what Jesus is saying. You remember back when we started, and by the way, when I say eschatological, some of you say, oh, okay. And others have said, I hope he explains what that means. Eschatological means tied to the end things. It's, a, it's tied to the study of the last things, okay? Eschatology is a study of last things, the end times, okay? And I want you to see, and I'm going to show you this tonight, that much of what Jesus is talking about here is actually tied to the last days, not right away. Now, some of it was, but as he's talking to them, he starts prophesying about days to come, years to come after they're gone. Now, we don't, miss, we don't see that if we try to read it all in context. But again, knowing how to study prophecy and how to use the whole of Scripture, if you actually knew your Old Testament and had your Old Testament in your heart, you would read some of this stuff and say, whoa, 
That's word for word what Jeremiah said. Oh, that's word for word what Zechariah said. That's word for word what Micah said. And you would start to put it all together in the proper place. At the same time, you remember when we started our study of Matthew? We talked about the fact that Matthew, you can't really study Matthew chronologically. Remember, Matthew's just compiling stories of Jesus' life. And if you try to read Matthew and you think this happened and then that happened because chapter 1 happened before chapter 2, which happened before chapter 3, and you do a full study of Scripture, it's going to mess you up because you're going to find out it doesn't happen in order. And actually, Jesus' teaching here is a compilation of a lot of things that all are connected with this topic. The topic of what? You will face persecution and tribulation. Some of it's for then. Some of it's for later. Some of it's for the church. Some of it's for Israel. And so we're going to try to figure out which for which. All right? He is definitely sending out his disciples as sheep among wolves. And many of them would be persecuted in synagogues and killed for their faith, correct? But a faithful study of Scripture will show that much of what Jesus said here is also tied to the teaching that he will give again later on in his ministry as he teaches about the upcoming time of the persecution in connection with the Antichrist. And I want to show you some of that. Go with me to Matthew chapter 10 again and look at verses 21 through 23. Matthew 10, 21 through 23. Look at what Jesus says. He says, brother will deliver brother over to death, and father, the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated, for, by, all, by, hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Keep reading. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. All right? Keep that in mind. Jump with me over to Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, starting in verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you? Do you not? Truly I say to you that there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, those of us who know how to study the scripture and know what's happened in history knew that he was prophesying about himself. And also about seven, in A.D. 70 when the temple was going to be destroyed. And when they burnt the city during the destruction of the city and the temple, it melted the gold that was in the, and it got down in the cracks. Everybody wanted the gold so much they tore every stone apart to get to the gold. So they realize he's talking about sometime in the future. And they come to him in verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him and they came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are but the beginning of, listen closely, the birth pains. We'll stop there real quick. For those of you who are part of our Revelation study, you'll know that in Revelation, when Jesus opens the seals, and by the way, don't miss that, Jesus is the one opening the seals. There are some people that try to say, well, the first half of the tribulation period is the wrath of Satan. The second half is the wrath of God. No, it's all the wrath of God, because who's opening the seals? Jesus. Jesus is opening the seals. And when he opens the first seal, 
Who comes out? Those of you who remember? The Antichrist, the rider on the white horse. What does Jesus say? First thing he says, watch out for those who claim to be the Christ. Watch out for the Antichrist. What's the second horse that comes out in Revelation, second seal? The rider on the red horse, which is what? War. And then he says what? There's going to be Antichrist. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Then there's going to be the, 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 the next horse, the pale horse, and that's disease. We see it. And the fourth horse is death. But look closely to what he says. He says, even though you see an Antichrist, even though you see wars and rumors of wars and pestilences and all this stuff, the end is not yet. That's just the beginning of, listen closely, the birth pains. Don't miss that. He's not saying birth pains, random birth pains, birth pains. He calls them the birth pains. And I want to show you from Scripture that Jesus is referring to what the Bible calls the time of Jacob's trouble or the tribulation period. And he actually uses birth pain imagery in those prophecies. Go with me back to Jeremiah chapter 30. In Jeremiah chapter 30, look at verses 4 through 7. We'll start in Jeremiah 30, verse 4. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It is a time of distress for who? For Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. That time of the birth pains, the time of the woman in labor is so bad that men are going to be doubled over like they're in labor. And what's going on? That day is the time of Jacob's trouble. We know it as the last seven years of the Daniel chapter 9 prophecy, verses 20 through 27, that there's seven years left for the nation of Israel. And if you study Revelation, you'll see that God puts it together for us and shows us that there's going to be these things that happen at the beginning of the tribulation where the Antichrist comes on the scene and he acts like he's the, the Savior. There's going to be peace, but then there's going to be wars and famine and pestilence. But that's just the beginning of the birth pains. And as you know, go back to Matthew 24. Jesus then said that this rascal is going to step into the wing of the temple and declare himself to be God. Go to Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew 24, pick up where we left off. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. You'll be hated by na all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Does that sound familiar? It's what he said to us back in Matthew chapter 10, verses 21 through 23. Listen closely to me, and I want you to hear me clearly. Are you saved because you endure to the end? No, you're saved by what? By grace, through faith alone. But if you know what the scripture teaches, the Bible teaches that only the Jews that survive the tribulation period 
who actually turned to faith in Jesus through that time period, through the 144,000 witnesses, through the two witnesses in Jerusalem, that when the Antichrist goes after the nation of Israel, Jesus, as we're about to read here in Matthew 24, tells them, don't you even go back into your house. You better run into the desert. Revelation tells us they're going to be hidden and protected by God in the wilderness for three and a half years. Only those who survive, who believe in Jesus, are going to be the ones who come to faith in Christ. In Revelation, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 11, verses 25 and following says, let me tell you a mystery. He says, all Israel will be saved. But he's talking about all Israel that survives. Because Zechariah talks about how when the Antichrist goes against Israel, two-thirds of the nation of Israel will be killed. But only those who survive or persevere to the end will be saved. He's not talking to the church. He's talking to the Jews. As they put it all together, keep reading. He says, And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. As you've heard me say before, this has frustrated me for years because we've tried to read the church into Matthew 24, but Jesus is talking about the tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble, the time of the birth pains that have been prophesied. And we've tried to read the church into it, and we keep saying, as soon as we get the gospel to the whole world, then the end will come. Isn't that what you've heard people are saying for years? Like it's up to us. When Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul says, This gospel, which has been proclaimed in all creation. Romans chapter 10, right after, How can they hear unless someone preaches to them? Paul says, Have they not heard? Of course they did. His word has gone out into all the earth. Can you honestly tell me that the God that you know from the scripture is a God that hasn't given those nations all around the globe that we haven't gotten the gospel to yet, that we think we haven't gotten the gospel to? Is he actually been having them all go directly to hell because they've never had an opportunity until we get there? That's not who he is. The Bible actually says in Romans chapter 1 that he's revealed himself through creation. Romans chapter 2 that he's revealed himself by writing his law in our hearts, whether we heard the law of God or not. And in Romans chapter 2, he then goes on and says that he will judge all men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as the gospel declares. In Romans chapter 3, he says that he's used his law, whether it's written or on our hearts, to make us all accountable before God. He's revealed himself, that every mouth may be silenced. Folks, stop thinking that as soon as we get the gospel to the whole world, then the end will come. If you knew your prophecy and you knew your Bible, I wrote down in the little highlight, a sidelight of my Bible, Revelation 14, 6 and 7. You go back and look at it later on. In Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7, the scripture says that at the end of the tribulation period, there's going to be an angel that hovers in midair and preaches the eternal gospel to the entire world all at the same time. And then what happens? Then the end comes. Jesus is describing the tribulation period. You want further proof that it's not talking to the church here in Matthew 24? Verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. By the way, that blows up anybody that says that this is Antiochus Epiphanes. A lot of people have tried to say that Daniel's prophecy about the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place was referring to Antiochus Epiphanes, which happened Prior to Jesus coming on the scene, Antiochus Epiphanes came into the temple during the intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew. And during that time period, he offered pigs on the altar in in the temple. And people say, well, that's what the abomination of desolation was. Can't be, because after Antiochus Epiphanes, Jesus is still telling them to watch for it to happen. Must be someone else still coming in when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place. Let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. 
And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be when? In winter or on what? Hang on for a second. Keep your finger here in Matthew 24 and go with me to Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse 16. Colossians chapter 2 verse 16 very clearly says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are the shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Are we to be judged by Sabbath Sabbath regulations? No. They were pointing to Jesus and those of us who have come to faith in Jesus Christ in this age that God's called the church age or the time of the Gentiles. We've been given all the promises that he made to Israel. They're ours now. He promised in Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 22 and following that at some point he was going to come and erase their sin. He was going to fill them with his spirit and cause them to follow his decrees. The Bible says that Paul comes on the scene and says, let me tell you something that hadn't been revealed in the past. The Gentiles are going to be equal with the Jews. And all the promise for Israel are now available to the Gentiles and their co-heirs. And everything that God's going to do to the nation of Israel at the end of the tribulation period is ours now. But at that point, they're going to be back under Sabbath regulations. There's going to be a temple. There's going to be all that. And when he says, pray that your flight doesn't happen in the winter, if you know anything about the globe, there's Christians all over it. And it's winter somewhere. Is he wanting the church to pray against the part of the church that's in winter? No, he's talking to the Jews. He's talking to the nation of Israel. Matthew 24, stop trying to read the church into it. It's not all about us. He's using us to make Israel jealous. And the prophecies in Matthew that we've been studying tonight, where we began our study, a lot of it has to do, as you put it all together, it's enduring to the end. And some others I'm about to show you are all tied to what he's going to be and has been telling through the Old Testament, the nation of Israel. It's really not for us. You want further proof? Go to uh, uh, Micah chapter 7. I think one of the biggest problems in the church today is we spend all our time in the New Testament. Jesus himself in Luke 24, when he rose from the dead and appeared to his disciples, he spent all his time showing them the Old Testament and how what he was doing and what he had been through in those days had been prophecy fulfilled. And then Jesus tells them before he leaves, everything written about me in the law and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. But what have we done? Once the New Testament was written, we stopped reading the Old Testament. We just read the New Testament. Or we try to go back and read the Old Testament and try to make it apply to us. Listen to Micah chapter 7, verses 1 through 7. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. What does that sound like? What does the Bible say is going to be like in the end times? The wickedness is going to increase so bad that if God doesn't cut it short, no one will be saved. Wickedness will grow like you wouldn't believe. The love of most is going to grow cold. Keep reading, though. The godly appears from the earth, and there's no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. 
The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchmen, of your punishment, has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt, and the daughter rises up against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I'll look to the Lord. I'll wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Did that sound a little familiar? Go back to Matthew chapter 10. Look at verses 34 through 36. He says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter, a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. First and foremost, did Jesus just say that by chance? Or was he quoting Micah chapter 7? Very clearly quoting Micah chapter 7. But also don't miss this. When Jesus came to the earth the first time, did he come to bring judgment on the earth? No. What did he come to do the first time he came to the earth, according to the scriptures? He came to save us. He came to die for our sins. He didn't come to judge the first time. When's he going to judge? When he comes again. When he comes again in judgment. So when the scripture says, don't think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I haven't come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set man against his father and daughter. He's quoting from the Old Testament about the last days and the time of Jacob's trouble and the prophecies of what's going to happen to Israel in the end. Folks, that doesn't apply to us right now. Now, are there, because of Christ, some families where daughters and daughter-in-laws have issues because of Christ? Of course. But the prophecy here is very clearly talk, talking about when he comes back. Because right now, we're still in that time period of grace. We're in that time period of where he's reaching out and giving people opportunity to be saved. Oh, but when he comes back, it'll be totally different. So we can see that some of this truth is for all of us, but some of it's only for some, and some of it's for Israel only during the time of the tribulation. Welcome to prophecy. Because prophecy all through the Old Testament and into the New has been written that way on purpose. Some of it applies to now, some of it to down the road. How are we going to know which? Good for you, Jeremy. Did you hear what Jeremy said? Study the Bible. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit will give us insight. He will give us understanding. There are preachers and teachers that have been given this responsibility as well. But you better check everything they say against the Scriptures. Because the Bible says there's going to be false teachers in the last days. There's going to be doctrines taught by demons. So don't just take it because the preacher said it. You better check everything I've said against the Scripture. You need to study to show yourself approved. Someone who what? Rightfully handles. The Word of God. So I'm going to do something tonight that I do with, when I go and teach prophecy around the country, and I, as you can probably tell, I get a little fired up about prophecy. I love prophecy. It's one of my things. And Jonathan will ask you, it's one of the questions I asked him when we were doing the interview process. Prophecy was tied to it. Because your interpretation of end times will affect how you preach the rest of the Bible. How you see the scripture teaching about what's going to happen in the end will affect how you interpret the whole rest of the Bible and how you preach the rest of the Bible. Prophecy is important. 
Eschatology is very important. But when I travel around the country to begin teaching people about prophecy, and I actually one of the things I do is I'll go to a church and preach the whole book of Revelation in six messages. In six hours, I teach the whole book of Revelation. It's, it's, it's a wild ride. But before we get started, I, I always show them what I'm about to show you. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 61. I'm about to show you something that I know every person in this room will be able to grasp. Some of you, as we've looked at prophecy, saying, I'm still struggling with which is here, which is now, which is future, which is when. I'm going to show you something that everybody in the room will be able to understand. In Isaiah 61, look at verses 1 and 2. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. All right, put a bookmark here. Keep it with you because we're going to be flipping back and forth. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, look at verses 16 through 21. In Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16, it says, And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So Jesus intentionally opens the scroll to what he's about to read. He finds the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And He rolled up the scroll and He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on Him. And He began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Did anybody catch what Jesus did? Compare what he read to what we just read in Isaiah 61, especially verse 2. He left off the second half of verse 2. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and it's very clear that the sentence continues, and the day of vengeance of our God. Let me ask you a question. Why did Jesus stop in the middle of the verse and say, this has been fulfilled in your hearing? Why did he stop in the middle of the verse? All right, one at a time. Go ahead, Warren. Exactly. The first half of the verse applied to what? His first coming. The second half of the verse applies to what? Are we all in agreement with that? I mean, I'm not forcing twisting anything on it, am I? We're all in agreement here that the first half of the verse applies to his first coming and the second half of the verse applied to his second coming, correct? Did you hear what you just said? You just said that one half of a verse could talk about one time period, and the second half of a verse talks about another time period thousands of years later. Welcome to prophecy. Do you understand the importance of studying it properly? See, many of us will read a passage of prophecy, and will, as someone brought to me tonight, the prophecy about the king of Tyre. And then in the middle of it, all of a sudden, it's obviously he's not talking about the king of Tyre anymore. He's talking about Satan. 
If you go and look at Isaiah 65, it talks about the behold. Around verse 17, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. In Isaiah 65, around verse 17, it says, Behold, I make a new heaven and a new earth. And the former things will never be remembered nor come to mind. And then verse 18 goes on and starts talking about the tribulation period. It talks about how if anybody dies during that time period at 100, they'll be considered a baby. All of a sudden, people go, wait a minute, people are going to die in the new heaven and the new earth? No, verse 17 is talking about the new heaven and the new earth. Verses 18 and following are talking about a different time period. Do you see what I'm saying? That's why when you study prophecy, you have to look at it and break it down and look closely and say, who's he talking to? And the only way you'll be able to correctly understand that is to understand the whole picture of God's plan. Go back to Matthew chapter 10. I've heard so many Bible teachers teach horrible teaching about the end times because they try to make verses 21 through 24 apply to the guys that Jesus was talking to at that moment. Look at verse 21 in Matthew 10. Brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, after having studied the way we have, what's he talking about here? He's talking about what time period? The tribulation period is very clear. He who endures to the end will be saved from Matthew 24. On top of that, brother will hand over brother to death. Remember, the love of most will go cold. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. These are all prophecies tied to the end times. But there are preachers that will say, well, Jesus must have already come back. That we're just living in that new age now. Because he said that they won't finish going through all the towns of Israel until he returns. And it's obvious that those guys all died. So Jesus must have already come back in some way. Maybe it was spiritual. You understand how silly that is? Was Jesus saying that those 12 guys that he was sending out two by two wouldn't make it through all the towns of Israel until he returns? Or was he talking about the last days when he, before he comes back? Obviously, it has to be not this time period because he obviously hadn't come back yet. You, you, you want to know proof that he hadn't come back? The sun's still there. The sky hasn't receded like a scroll. Way to go, Jeremy. He said, you're still preaching. That's true. <laughs> And the Bible says that's going to come to an end, too, and all that. And folks, the, the moon hadn't turned to blood. The sun hadn't gone dark. The stars hadn't fallen from the sky. All the things that the Bible said are tied to the return of Jesus Christ. Remember he said, don't, when someone says, oh, he's over here, don't believe him, or he's over there, don't believe it. Because when the Son of Man comes back, everybody's going to all see it at the same time, and there'll be no question. We've always jokingly said, us being a family that loves Disney, whenever we take people to Disney and we show them the fireworks, and they say, was that the finale? We always say, if you have to ask, it's not the finale. You'll know when it's the finale. If you see a big explosion of a bunch of fireworks and you go, was that the finale? No. If you ask, it's not the finale. Because when the finale happens, nobody says, was that the finale? You know that's the finale. In the same way, when Jesus comes back, there will be no question as to whether or not Jesus has returned. Jesus himself said it. So, has he come back yet? Did those 12 guys die, or are they still making it through the towns of Israel? Of course, they died. So, this can't be talking about those 12 guys that he sent them out. 
And there are those who try to say that all this was fulfilled during their lifetime. Couldn't have been. Welcome to prophecy. Oh, by the way, I've been studying prophecy for over 25 years now. Intensely. And I'm still seeing stuff I've never seen before. And it excites me. You know that Micah 7 passage that I shared with you tonight? Hadn't seen it until the study for this Bible study. I'd never seen it before. I just always assumed Jesus said mother-in-law and daughter-in-law and all that stuff. Just giving an example. He was quoting. He was quoting. And the more I study his word, the more I realize almost everything that came out of Jesus' mouth was a quoting of the Old Testament. As we close, I want to do one last thing. Go back to Matthew 10. Look at verses 17 and 18. Remember last week, he told them what? What did he tell them? Go nowhere among who? Among the Gentiles. Don't even go to the Samaritans. Go only to the lost sheep of Israel, right? And remember, I talked to you about the fact that he wasn't saying, don't ever talk to a Gentile, don't ever talk to a Samaritan. But they were to mainly go to the, the Jewish towns, not the Samaritans' villages and the Gentile towns. But look at, look at Matthew 10, verses 17 and 18. He says, beware of men, for they'll deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my name's sake to bear witness before them and who? Oh, you're telling me that as he sent them out to go only to the Jews, he was still going to use them to preach to the Gentiles? Yeah. Stop trying to figure out how it all works. His plan's bigger and better than ours by far. Just do what he tells you to do. And it'll all be accomplished, everything that he's got in mind. Even though he told them, as we saw last week, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to Samaritans, go only to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go to these people, things are going to happen so that I use you to preach to the Gentiles anyway. He's going to get his stuff done. Stop thinking you have to come up with a better plan. Stop trying to help him and just rest in the fact that God is working his work out and it's already all mapped out. You just want to be a part of it today, correct? Oh, and don't think you'll have it all figured out, because I don't have it all figured out. None of us have it all figured out. But Revelation tells us in chapter 1, blessed is those who read this book, the prophecy of this book, and take to heart what is written in it. For these things must take place. It's not symbolic. It's going to happen. But listen, prophecy makes sense if you've got the scripture in your heart. And then while you're alive, some of that prophecy takes place. You'll be able to say, this is what they're talking about. You ever notice how often we see that in the scriptures? Then the disciples understood what he was talking about. Then the disciples knew he was talking about this. That's all we're to do. Study it. Read it. Don't be like, I don't understand. I don't understand. You don't have to. Relax. Relax. Just read it. Get it in your heart. And then when and if God is going to reveal it to you, you'll go, I see how these go together. Hey been fun i'll see you in over a month i hope to have a great new england tan when i come back i love you we'll see you in a month thanks for coming